The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait. Welcome to the Be Rad Podcast, where we explore ways to pursue peak performance with passion throughout life without taking ourselves too seriously. I'm Brad Kearns, New York Times bestselling author, former number three world-ranked professional triathlete, and Guinness World Record Masters athlete. I connect with experts in diet, fitness, and personal growth, and deliver short breather shows where you get simple, actionable tips to improve your life right away. Let's explore beyond the hype, hacks, shortcuts, and sciency talk to laugh, have fun, and appreciate the journey. It's time to be rad. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near infrared for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning. As soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit Mito Red Light, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. Hello, listeners. It's time to talk to Mark England, the proprietor of something called the Enlifted Method, and that is a coaching system that will help you shed your victim stories through a very careful, thoughtful process that Mark has been teaching to many people 
for many years, and we start right out with him in his compelling storytelling style, talking about his own victim story, how he came to terms with it, and how important words, story, and breath are to help you disengage and do some more productive thinking about how you think. Ah, what an interesting premise. And you're going to learn more at the website enlifted.me. But I think it's really interesting and it goes to the popular topic these days of how our past programming and traumas, both little T's and big T's, affect and compromise our ability to enjoy and be productive in everyday life. And you're going to love Mark's casual style, but we really go to town and try to get deep and get underneath some of the stuff that's keeping us stuck. You will never again be cavalier with the words that you use to describe your own life and the things that have happened to you. It's not what happened to you. It's what you think about what happened to you is the key variable here. So let's learn more about Mark's life's work and the Enlifted Method. Here we go. Mark England, welcome. Brad Kearns, thanks for having uh, me. We are going to learn about the Enlifted Method, which is an extremely interesting, compelling, my initial reaction looking at the website is like, hey, now we're going to get in deep and and put this missing piece together, especially in the coaching world, uh, because we're all pretty well filled up with information, logistics, and then we wonder why we're not executing to the level that we dream about. Um, we have things like words, story, and breath, as you propose on your website are important. So I think uh, maybe you can introduce yourself to the listeners and then uh, get into this wonderful work that you're doing. Happy to, Brad. Um, my name's Mark England, and I'm currently calling in from the robust one-stop light town. This is a fake Southern accent, even though I do have a little bit of a Southern accent. Uh, yeah, I'm from Virginia. Both sets of my, both mom's side, dad's side. They're from Virginia too. Uh, yeah, we, we, we got a family farm, 10 minutes outside of a one-stop light town, uh, Dillwyn, Virginia. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the words and story and breath, uh, story started when I moved over to Thailand hmm. in 2002 to follow my dream of becoming a professional fighter. Fighter? What kind of fighter? Yeah. Kickboxing and MMA. Hmm. And so I wrestled in high school. That was cool enough. Took my first jujitsu class in college in 1996. And that was way better. First time I got choked out in a, a class was the, which was the first class I went to. I didn't know what I was doing. And a guy put me in something. I was like, oh, my gosh, I've got to learn this. And that turned into me training hard for six years. And I had a mm. handful of amateur MMA fights. And I won a couple of state kickboxing titles. And I said, I'm moving to Thailand, everybody. And I did. I ended up living over there for 10 years, which still sounds mm. strange to say, especially something for, for a country bumpkin to say. And um, the plan was to go over there for, for one year, Brad, and train and come back and go pro. That's very not what happened. Uh, went over there and jacked my knee up 
for the second time, real good the second time, mm-hmm. right? Had my second knee surgery. The doctor said, I remember like it was yesterday, your career as a fighter is over. You could become a very good swimmer. <laughs> and I, right? And I'm picturing laps next to grandma at the pool. Not what I had in mind in at 26 years old and cheers and uh, darkness descended Hmm. and I entrenched uh, an inflamed majorly inflamed victim mentality so much so I didn't smile I didn't I definitely didn't laugh and I don't think I, I cracked a real smile for over a year until I got sick of that and then went down to uh uh, so the first five years of me living in Thailand, I was an elementary school sports teeter, teacher at an international school. Great gig, love the kids, super fun. The second half, I was a coach slash counselor uh, at a at a cleansing resort. They did fasting mm-hmm. programs for for the second five years. And while I was doing the teaching thing and um, starting to work on on my puckered up face. I was going down to this cleansing resort and doing these these programs. It's great, great gig. I pay them a good amount of money to not eat. I get a yoga class and a coconut once a day, and and they get my money. And I I pay I I, I liked it. So anyway, my third trip down, I went to an emotional detoxification workshop. And I'm one. I'm glad I went. Two. I snickered at the, the at the name, emotional detoxification. I went and the gentleman that was running that workshop was a guy by the name of Barry Musgrave, who turned into my mentor in this work, uh, unbeknownst to me at the time. And he talked about words and he talked about stories, he talked about identities, and he talked about breathing. And he asked everybody, uh, is anyone stuck on a story? Like you got a story that like you're still, you know, and this woman mm-hmm. shot her hand up. Wow. And she had a um uh, uh it was a stinger of a bad breakup story. The short story is that her and her friend, she was in college, went to the beach, got a house, went to the beach. Her, her um uh her boyfriends, he and his friends got the house next door at the beach for beach week, add alcohol, press play. And he hooked up with her, one of one of her best friends in front of everybody one night and then dumped her in front of everybody the next night. She she told more of the story, and that was the gist of it. And it, I mean, we can all like that. Come on, man. That's that's some ouch. And he had her tell that story three times. First time he didn't touch any of the language, any of the words. I'm gonna talk more about language and words in the next hour. I'm, I'm gonna do it a lot, uh, uh, for good reason. Second, and and she so she told the story through. First time, angry, lot of tears, cool. Tell that same story again. So she gets into it, and he starts to make some adjustments with the words, and the thing loosens up. Hmm. Now she's sad, no tears, and everybody's hmm. starting to lean in. This is getting interesting. Third time through. He had he knew what he was doing. He had her stop 
at the sentence that held the whole thing together. He did that to me. And he had her repeat it a few times, so everybody's staring at the same sentence or spell. Webster's definition of a spell, not mine, is a word or a combination of words of great influence. And that mm. combination of words was greatly influencing that woman since the day that it happened. He did that to me. And again, had her repeat it a few times, so everybody's looking at the same sentence. And he goes, that last word, take out that last word, take out me and put in himself. Right. And you see, it was such a radical departure from the story that she had been relentlessly telling herself that it was she said it in half of a sentence. It was clunky and it went up at the end. He he did that to himself. It was a question. And then you see it catch the, the breath came out. Sigh of relief everybody of pressure and she let the, let the, let this breath out and and then and then it caught and she goes he did he did do that to himself and then she started talking about the, he lost friends he, it was mm. actually worse for him in the end and then and then the last thing she said before uh, uh the whole thing was over was you know he was actually kind of weird that was never going to work out anyway and i go this is exactly what i did i've fallen in love on site a few times i go that i, I pointed at it not literally and i was like this because I had that same sentence. He mm. did that to me. He shouldn't have been kicking that hard. We were just mm. warming up. Mm. And I did not know what the victim mentality was. I did not know the words that forces people to create it, whether they want to or not. And that was my first introduction to the the whole world of getting our language working for us because most people's language is working against us so fast forward a number of trainings that same spa january 17th 2007 i put my poster up with all the other coaches and uh, facilitators at at the spa that worked there and that was the day that I turned pro, and I've been somewhere between full-time and overtime the whole time for the past 16 years, researching, coaching, and presenting on the power of words and stories. Just a couple of extra metrics. So who is this guy, and why should I listen to him? Uh, I've been doing it for that many amount of years. Uh, this is my 332nd podcast that I've been on, talking about this one thing, which is the power of words. Mm. I'm the co-founder and head coach of Lifted. Uh, and I deliver all of the trainings for our certificate for our certifications. I've certified 350 level one students so far. I've got a teaching background and, um, I've been in a doc three documentaries. One's been published three online. So like, I, I get it. I, you know, I've, I've got, I've got some hours on the clock and the work fascinates me. I love the people I meet through it and I wake up, um, I'm very grateful for this <laughs> field of study because it holds my attention. I was a horrible student in school. Mm. So I was bored. This, on mm. the other hand, I wake up and I'm like, cool, I get to go do this. You've discovered your inspired purpose, as Dr. John D. Martini would say. That's freaking awesome, man. Yep. I saw that guy for the first time uh, in um, What the Bleep Do We Know? Mm. In, in 2005, I watched that 16 times one summer. Nice. <laughs> Get it in there. Mm -hmm. So you're, uh, you're focused on this stuff. You're focused. I yep. love that. Yep. Uh, yep. It, it, tell me what the organization does. 
we we certify coaches our main um revenue stream are the most of the amount of hours on the clock for us as an organization goes to certifying our coaches and um developing the community and the brand that's where almost all of my hours are 99% of my professional hours are teaching class going on podcasts and you know attending the work meetings and such so yeah, we we are teachers. My business partner, he comes from a, I, I'll, I will use the word, prestigious background in uh, professional development and sales training. He was Jeffrey Gittimer's right-hand man for uh, six years. That guy wrote the best book, the most the, the most well-sold uh, book on sales. I think it's either Sales Bible or mm-hmm. Little Red, Red Book of Selling. And so we're both teachers. Um, in in very real sense, and um, we we teach people about the power of their words, and it starts with the victim mentality. Mm. So, yeah, so we we paid um, a gentleman about four years ago to the word is scrape our social media, and which is they 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 go in and look at all of our posts and everything, all the comments and everything. And he came back and he said, there are two things that people are most interested in listening to you all about. And the first one is the victim mentality. And then a very, very, very distant second is goal setting. Hmm. So yeah. Yeah, Why set goals? If you're, uh, if you're buried in victim mentality, what do the goals matter? That's a, a, Great, great point. Um, I'd rather have goals than not. And when the victim mentality is um, is entrenched, is uh, inflamed, it makes going after the things that are interesting, important to us, um, make our life better that much harder. And mm. that that's the thing that trips people up, in my opinion, more than anything else with their goals is um, – is the victim mentality. I'm very happy to recite the definition of that for the umpteenth time and then break that. Is, is that a good place to? Sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let me hear it. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, if you have a pen, I invite you to write this down because I'm going to recite the definition of the victim mentality. Most people have never heard the definition of the victim mentality, much less written it down. And when pen hits paper, so the the numbers are 30, 50, 80. We remember 30% of what we hear, 50% of what we write, and 80% of what we teach. And if you put pen to paper, yep, you get get 20% extra return on investment for listening to this show. Here's, I'll do it twice. So first time slow, so you can write it. And then second time, I'll um, elaborate on some of the, the key points of the, the victim mentality definition. The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others even in the absence of clear evidence the victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process and attributions i'll do that again a little faster 
The victim mentality is an acquired personality trait where a person tends – it's a tendency. Sometimes it's up. Sometimes it's down. A person tends to regard himself or herself as the victim of the negative actions of others even in the absence of clear evidence. The victim mentality depends – underline that word as it has to have a habitual thought process and attributions. At the end, what's an attribution? It's a characteristic. The main characteristic that we pay attention to is breathing. Most people's breath mm-hmm. is trapped in their chest, and um, yeah, it's 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 easy to take things personally when our breath is trapped in their chest. It's easy to um, see the worst in people when the breath is trapped in the chest. It's very hard. It's called amygdala hijacking. Look that up. It's very hard. Chest breathing turns people into horrible listeners. Um, and it's super hard to, to feel comfortable in our skin when our breathing is trapped in our chest. And so the, the habitual thought process, the victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process. Habitual accurately implies duration and addiction and then thought process, thought process, thinking processes, also known as certain words used repetitively over time, forces you to stare at the victim villain mental imagery whether you want to or not and regardless of how smart you are it'll work that'll work for for me it'll work for einstein as in he did that to me or she never lets me think for myself or i need them to respect me more really you need them to respect you more you need you to respect you more Mm -hmm. and when and when i know how to use my words also known as thinking about our thinking that's my favorite alan watts quote when we learn to think about our thinking, we become alive in a new way. And yeah, when we do that, um, we gift ourselves choice and more space and more clarity. And here's here's where it comes back to this is the baseline. We unlock our breathing. Mm. We unlock our breathing. Yeah, we're we're known as the language people, Brad. We might as well be known as the language and the breathing people. And gun to head, it's about the breath. Push comes to shove. It's about the breath. Like I'm, I'm there to help people with change some words and 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 keep doing that until the breath resides down in the abdomen where it's supposed to. We're supposed to breathe abdominally, mm-hmm. parasympathetic state uh, most of the time. We're not designed to live well with in these chronic upregulated in psychologically inflamed states what are you you're jumping what is that in the background you're jumping over a um are you a pole vaulter not a pole vaulter it's a high jumper that's a high jump bar sir for those watching on youtube familiar with my logo plastered on the back wall and um there i am smiling and what's my uh, my favorite hobby these days it's it's a captivating athletic event and um I'm uh, I'm a victim of uh, 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 my genetics are for endurance athlete. That was what I did uh, back when I was young. I was a, a professional competitor in triathlon. So now I do something that's completely, um, you know, disparate from my life experience and my my highest, you know, genetic attributes. But it's so fun to try to get good at something that maybe I'm not naturally inclined to. And then I no longer have to uh, uh, inhabit the victim mentality because I'm going to get better and better even as I age. I love it. That's great. Yeah. That's <laughs> so that's, I'm thinking, um, you know, what you thinking? Uh, I just, I just rattled off all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like um, a, a victim, someone inhabiting the victim mentality is probably going to give you pushback and they're going to deeply believe 
that they are indeed a victim and you're wrong and, and, and so on and so forth. And then you could probably nod your head and say, well, you know, if you believe so and you want to carry that, and I guess that's where that breaking point came with the woman reciting her story three times and choosing her words differently. But that probably takes a lot of convincing um, to, to, to many people who are trapped and stuck. Until they write their words down. Until they write their words down and they start changing their words, you know, with the help of someone who knows what they're doing. Mm -hmm. uh, and to get this on the table, there's a very big difference between victim blaming and victim mentality explaining. And we are firmly in the second camp, victim mentality explaining. And um, yeah, so life happens, things happen. And, and then they happen once, just say they happen once. And then mm. how many times do I replay that story in my head? So I'm saying I have no control over the story in my head uh, about the thing, the interpretation. Let's say it's a divorce when it happened when I was seven. Let's say, let's say I really got that interpretation spit, spit shine clean. I got, I nailed it the first time I told myself a story about what it means that my dad's leaving and um, how n now I've got to, you know, take responsibility and I've got to make my mom happy. So, cause I'm, I'm the only one here now. And now I grow up with this story that I, uh, I've got to, you know, uh, be there for everybody all the time. Is mm. that, is, is that the kind of story somebody wants to, to play out? Cause it's common. Mm. Mm. Something along those lines, very rarely do, um, stories that 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 um ha have a certain rhythm cadence and words to them uh that, that trap the breath and force me to stare at a person in my imagination doing something to me very rarely does it work out well when i have to wait for that person in my imagination to change their behavior for me to relax and have a good life mm. that's that's called hell Hmm. So yeah, we're we're about we're about going into the story and taking a look at it. And why is the breath so integral to this uh, process of, of of exiting the victim mentality and I guess taking responsibility for your thoughts, behaviors, actions? Yeah. Um because mechanically speaking, good luck changing your mind or your client's mind while the breath is trapped in the chest. So again, it's called amygdala hijack. When someone goes into a stressed state and the breath gets trapped in the chest, they get myopic mm -hmm. in their focus. And so they get myopic and fixated and the pictures are up close and scary. And not only that, we lose, like I said, access to our um, listening abilities. We've 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 all had a conversation with somebody who's been in a in an emotional state. Mm -hmm. How'd that go? It's we have language to describe that. It's like talking to a brick wall, and we also lose access to our creative faculties. Mm -hmm. And um, we can observe that in storytelling. We can also observe that phenomenon. This, you'll relate to this in movement. Go out there and run some wind sprints and tell me 
what your what your field of vision looks like. Hmm. Are is are you in an upregulated state? Yep. What are you able to see? That thing that you're focused on. I mean, are you able to to think about other stuff real well and create it and like <laughs> problem solving and stuff? No, you've got it's singular in focus. Now, now go out and go on a walk and slow down your rate of of, of walking by about thirty percent. It's the magic number. Oddly enough, hmm. it's called a stroll. Go on a stroll and watch how much extra space that you've got. Our man Charlie Chaplin knew this. He said, life viewed under a microscope is a tragedy. Viewed hmm. from afar is a comedy. I can keep going on the mechanics of story if you'd like me to in this, in this, in this conversation. Sure. Uh, yep. Most people keep their stories of ouch and pain and sting and woe and the evidence that they use to um, convince themselves that they are a victim of circumstance up here in their head. Story kept up in the head, oddly enough, takes up a lot of space. It swirls. It's seemingly, seemingly infinite. Where does it stop? Where does it start? There's the worst part again, ouch. Story kept up in the head. The story is in your client. Your client is in the story for the most part. It's subjective. It's still personal. After all these years, one of the things that we do, it's, it's as basic as you could get. And uh, it's, it's as basic as you can get when it comes to helping people change their mindset. And it's as basic as you can get with the Enlifted Method. We go in there and we help people get those specific memories of ouch and pain and sting and woe and title them out and write them out conversationally, airing on the side of more detail than yet than less with full sentences and punctuation. And yes, sometimes the pen can feel like it weighs 900 pounds. And that's, I'll take, I'll take a little bit of sting right now versus a few decades of bumping up into mm. that thing. And once a story is, is extracted out of its preferred environment, trust me, it's, it wants to stay up there. It's, it's just safe. It's at home and it gets out on paper. Then you've externalized the story. You've given yourself some distance and then you can start reading it and reading it slow and getting some breath in between the sentences. And then, then it gets a lot easier to change the words. So breath trapped in the chest to come full circle, make mm -hmm. it simple mm -hmm. breath trapped in the chest. That's attachment to the story. Mm -hmm. It feels real. It's, mm -hmm. It feels true. Yes, that person did that to me, mm -hmm. uh, and that means this about my life because it's not the story that gets us, buddy. It's the meaning that we assign to the story. Mm -hmm. And uh, breath opens up, and they start to let go of this death grip on the meaning. Look, the, the same thing. The, the, he did that to me. No, he did that to himself. That guy was actually really weird. <laughs> Thank God I'm not with him. She mm -hmm. was not thinking that 10 minutes before. Mm -hmm. He was a victim of life. So I guess when you get someone going and relating their victim story, for example, they're going to transition into shallow panting, sympathetic tone because they're asked to relate their victim story. And that's where the uh, the, the trap occurs, where they, they can't really have personal growth because they're they're too stressed and too myopic to see a bigger picture until they're until they're facilitated as you relate in in the um in the account of the girl retelling the story and, and checking the words 
you just said that better than I did. Yeah, until you go into the story, it's really hard to get out of the story. Um, the the way forward is in. Mm. Oddly, it's it, the way forward is in. I know of no other way. I, I wish there was an easier way, because sometimes that's that's really tough to go into those things. I wish there was yeah. an easier way than to, to to go back in there. But here's it's 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 like a spicy Thai dish. I lived in Thailand mm. for ten years. I had some really spicy dishes. It's like a spicy Thai dish. The story burns going in. Mm. It smolders while it's in there. And then it burns coming out. And if you have no mm-hmm. idea what I'm talking about, everybody, go eat a spicy Thai dish and message me in 48 hours, assuming everything is working as it should. And um, and that's why part of the reason why people can and tend to avoid revisiting those stories in details because the devil is in the details. The more detailed we get in our recount of an event, the more we feel. And if someone doesn't know how to get that feeling all the way through, get it, spicy Thai dish, then it's just burning bad again. Mm. I wonder if there's another level here where we have the 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 clear examples of a victim uh, circumstance, victim story, like the girl related at spring break. Um, but then there's also like Cynthia Thurlow talks about big T trauma and little T trauma. So I'm thinking of, you know, my personal uh, background. I don't have a ready-made uh, extreme victim story to relate where somebody uh, kicked me too hard and, and busted up my knee, but perhaps I'm not even um, consciously aware of certain victim stories or an accumulation of victim stories that are uh, compromising my life and holding me back because they're sort of uh, an amalgam or they're just underneath the surface of um, my, my conscious memory. But maybe there's a repeating pattern where, uh, you know, it's like the, uh, why me? Why do I always find myself, uh, you know, in, <laughs> in the runner-up position when I want to win or whatever it is? And then I have to even identify the victim story, I guess, is my question. Yep, that's, um, it's common and it's easy to check. And what do I mean by easy to check? Um, So let's say someone has – and this is most – I'm speaking to people as if they're coaches. And if they're not, it's this is a pretty easy thing to relate to, whether it's personally or you've seen other people deal with patterns and themes in their adult life. Let's pick Mm -hmm. one that I worked with very recently. Uh, This gentleman, um, he – he was struggling at work with imposter syndrome, especially when it came to giving meetings or facilitating meetings in front of his peers. And he said the same thing happened every time is that he would get up there and he would have these, these, um, they weren't like full blown panic attacks, like shut the whole, uh, system down, but it was taking up some space these feelings of being an imposter and being not good enough. And it had been happening all throughout his professional life. Okay, great. That's the theme. That's what he told me he wanted to have work on. And I said, can you give me an example of that? And he said, that's easy. It happened two weeks ago. And he told me the specific, we actually, we had to write it down, title a specific story, the specific story that happened two weeks ago and write it out on paper, which is very rare to do. You want to write it conversationally like it's going in a book. Mm. And so he read through that story. And you know what happened, Brad? Those feelings got stronger, which normally happen. Okay. It's a good thing. 
And then I asked him, when was the first time you felt that pressure in your chest of not being good enough, uh, of being an imposter and and being scared of judgment? He goes, oh, that I was bullied all through middle school. Hmm. And um, and he goes, I haven't thought about that in years. Why would you? Because you're dealing with the outside layer of the adult onion at work, and very rarely do people get into the story deep enough to make those connects back to the stuff that happened in childhood and adolescence. And I asked him, I was like, let me guess, um, you remember the worst event, the worst bullying event? He goes, yeah, I definitely do. And he hadn't titled that. He hadn't written it down. It just been in there smoldering, like I said. And we got the – it was three. The three most prominent bullying events got them from up here and titled and written out conversationally and then put them through what we call in the Enlifted Method the four-step process, which is exactly what I said a second ago. Title it, write it out conversationally. Read it, whatever you feel is correct. Read it slow, 70% of your normal rate of speed when or speech, when someone slows down their rate of speech, the breath starts to unlock. Trust me, you want that. And then read it again, slowish, with a breath at the end of each sentence. Hmm. And what that does is it gets the breath to descend down into the abdomen. And so um, this is good for your YouTube people. We're to, again, this is the mechanics of story, everybody. This is not about the why. This is the how. So story kept in the head, breath trapped in the chest, face. He's covering wherever, his face with a comp book right now, people. Yep. Wherever you look, there it is. Get the story <laughs> written out, air it out, and the, as the breath descends, the breath descends, the picture moves away. Mm. And so now I go into the observer as opposed to the relentless participant. And what people are most haunted by when they say, well, I'm a victim of the thing, it's it's the relentless participation in the story. It's mm. not the thing that, that – because did, did it happen today, that thing that happened 20 years ago? Did that happen today externally or internally? No. I watched that movie again in my head, and that's the thing I want to stop. Yeah, we can't go back there 20 years ago, but guess what? We can turn the volume down on this thing that happened this morning again in your mind. I want to discuss the incredible benefits of red light therapy and how you can get started with Mito Red Light. Mito, like mitochondria, red light makes the premier light therapy devices in the world and at incredibly affordable prices. I stand in front of my Mito Pro 1500 unit every morning, carefully exposing my eyeballs, other important balls, and my entire body to special wavelengths of red and near for red light. When I tell people about my daily devotion to red light therapy, they typically ask, does this stuff really work? And the answer is yes. And there are thousands of studies supporting its effectiveness. Here's how. It's called photobiomodulation where specific wavelengths of red and near-infrared light, red's visible, near-infrared is not visible, that's why it looks like only half of your panel's working, these wavelengths help mitochondria in cells throughout your body produce more energy and clear waste products more efficiently. Red light exposure helps mobilize nitric oxide trapped in the mitochondria and allows oxygen to return to the cell and increase ATP production. The 
the benefits are proven again and again for skin health, muscle recovery, joint pain, and numerous inflammatory conditions. Red light therapy is also beneficial for circadian rhythm alignment because we generally get far too little direct sunlight and too much indoor blue light from screens and light bulbs at the wrong times. You don't hear much about this benefit of red light therapy, but when I turn on those lights, first thing in the morning, as soon as I wake up, I walk across the hall, I stand in front of the panels, and I feel instantly awake and energized. And believe me, there's a lot of days where Mr. Health Guy here wakes up feeling a little groggy and a little whiny, like I don't want to right get up now and get into my morning exercise routine. But when I stand in front of the lights, in one minute, I swear I feel wide awake. I get all that grogginess out naturally. It's super powerful, super effective, besides all all the healing and the cellular benefits. I also love it for being a natural wake-up machine. You have to try red light therapy. I am certain that you will become a devoted user. And guess what? Mito Red Light offers a 60-day no-risk trial period and a special 5% discount for BRAD podcast listeners. Just visit mitoredlight, M-I-T-O, redlight.com, and use the code BRAD on any of their products. Go for it today and get started on your red light journey. So you had um, the steps were to title it, read it slowly, 70%, uh, reread it with breaths, in between each sentence and then it was a four step what's the yep it was you got one three and four step one <laughs> which is good most people have no steps uh um and and so what happens they just do their best not bump into those bump up bump up into those stories and those feelings even though they keep bumping up into those stories in some form or fashion and those feelings like the guy I mentioned who was at work and just kept every time I, he was, he was dealing with that for 20 years. That's, that's yeah. the real, that's what I was talking about. That's the real scary stuff, you know? Yeah. Uh, oh, oh yeah. Um, I'm just going to deal with this for 50 years and it's going to get majorly in the way of my professional career, as opposed to going in and writing <laughs> in those stories out. So yeah, Mark, so are you, are you contending that, this guy being bullied in middle school and not properly processing those memories uh, was a direct and really strong driver of his imposter syndrome in the conference room? I'm saying that definitively. Wow. And I mean, we hear this now. It's, it seems like a recurring theme um, from behavior experts, psychotherapy, that um, we have these unprocessed uh, childhood traumas and then they play out for the rest of our lives until we uh, kind of acknowledge them, uh, process through them, and then they lose their power. Is that a good generalization uh, to bring some some of these ideas together? You just said it as good, if not better than I did. Yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Talking about going in there, you know, talking about going in there with a specific tool, which is like the, the four steps, everybody. Title it, write it out conversationally. Don't write about it. Write out in detail what happened. Yeah. Step two, read the story. Let yourself have the feel. Okay. People are meant to feel feelings. It's, it's trust me, it's okay, especially when it's on the way out. And, and then step three, read the story at 70% of your normal rate of speech. That's going to loosen up your breathing. And then step four, get a breath in between, as in a full breath. 
as in a in between each sentence mm -hmm. and you're going to zoom out. Okay. So if I'm in your workshop right now and we have the next 20 minutes to go and write down our story and let's say, uh, hypothetically speaking, I kind of draw a little bit of a blank because I don't have this profound memory of extreme bullying in middle school, of course, I can probably come up with a list of 20 uh, little T traumas. I was too shy to talk to the girls in high school. Um, I felt marginalized as a um, as an athlete because I, I wasn't as good as I, I wanted to be. Uh, whatever it was that kind of made me shrink into a corner. And, and I have, you know, I can recite some of these different uh, snapshots from from past life, would this would this qualify? You know, twenty little t traumas, uh, and and go head up with you know someone who suffered you know a, a violence at the hand of others or something that is you know really extreme and something easy to pinpoint. For sure. Um, first things first. Um, play at your own level. You know, I've given somewhere around seven hundred fifty workshops. And it's always play at your own level. If somebody wants to go in there, cool. I, I'll go in there with you. If somebody doesn't want to go in there, I don't want to go in there either. And if nobody has, if you don't have a story, fantastic. Great. <laughs> Excellent. And I'm not sure what the difference between a little T trauma and a big T trauma is. And right. um, uh, what the definitive line is. Because uh, I've seen some seemingly minor stories create some extremely negative emotional reactions and patterns in mm -hmm. people because a lot of that's up to opinion right um and, oh, sure. and, yeah and here here's the, here's another piece of that answer is that it doesn't matter you can four step um procrastinations and you can four step because it doesn't matter what the mm. context is it's not context dependent it's like it's like it's, it doesn't it only works for divorces and dog attacks no it works for any story that bothers okay. you right yeah. And I mean, I've been uh I've been challenged or or, or scolded here when I uh utter up a, you know, a a, a, a positive uh spin and you know, it's like, well, you're diminishing your own suffering by saying, you know, comparatively speaking, uh, you know, I haven't had any uh terrible uh traumas to complain about, but that in that in 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 itself could be a coping mechanism that's keeping me trapped in uh, a, a certain victim victim position, I suppose. Yeah, and my my question to that is, um, how do you feel about yourself? Yeah, 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 like you know, I don't, you know, do I don't feel, matter do you feel enough. Good about yourself, exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No one yeah. will ever really love me. I've got that whole thing going on, and that that idea and that feeling, but nothing ever really tragic has happened. Let's let's tell. Would you like to get rid of that? feeling of not being good enough it's a telephobia folks that's what 95 percent of this stuff boils down to a telephobia yeah there's a word for it it's the fear of not being good enough and um why does why does it have to be it's, it's yeah it's it's and i didn't i don't need i didn't need a phd to create the story of not being good enough when I was nine. I don't need a PhD to change it. And I also don't need a PhD to analyze how much it bothers me. <laughs> it bothers yeah. me. That's all I need to know. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, let's, let, let's, let's grow up a little bit here, people.
Uh, so speaking of that, I wonder if, um, do you ever run afoul of the world of traditional uh, psychotherapy and counseling where are there any objections to where this stuff can be, someone might consider it uh, harmful or off point, or does it go synchronize hand in hand with someone who is a big uh, consumer of, of uh, traditional uh, models that are, um, you know, in the mental health world? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, uh, at the end of the day, um, choose your path. My advice is to shop around <laughs> and get a second and third opinion. I've never met anybody who said, I really wish I never got that second opinion. <laughs> I mean, really. Um, and uh, as far as traditional psychotherapy and psychiatry goes, like clinical psychiatry, like cognitive, th those people are on a different level than I am. I've got an IQ of nine. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I come from a... Um, very blue collar background. I have a handful of MMA fights. I wanted to be a professional fighter and I was an elementary school sports teacher. Okay. Before I got into personal development. So take, take what I'm saying with a grain of salt. If you're looking for someone who's got a very, um, well, like I said, you're, if you're looking for, uh, Einstein in this world, I'm not that I'm just someone who stares at words and how they influence people. So the the words themselves, um, you're placing great importance on that. I'm going to also ask further yeah. about the breath, but um, yeah. when we, I'm thinking of like day-to-day -day examples of, oh, I'm so spacey. I'm sorry I'm late for our podcast. It was 15 minutes ago. I'm, uh, gosh, I'm such a, I'm such a dork. I, I kept you waiting. And so these we were right of, on time, by the way, I, like I know it's, it's a miracle for me. I mean, it was like, oh my gosh, here I am cranking. Um, but you know, when we engage in that self-deprecating, uh, language, it's kind of like the imposter syndrome person who's in his head is, doesn't feel qualified, but a lot of times we verbalize sure. our lack of abilities. And then I guess we manifest those because we're using those words in, in a pattern manner. Yeah. Uh, you know, most people's language, and when I refer to language, I mean internal dialogue and external dialogue, what we think, what we say, what we write, is very patterned. And people, it's it's the easiest thing to overlook, Brad. It really is. Because overlook. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because it's overlook. it's it's right between it's right under our nose, what we say. It's right between our ears, the voice in our own head. And it's right at the end of our fingertips. It's what we write. And um Here's an interesting thing to think about, um, or or here's a position that I take, is that most people's problems, which they would define as super big and complicated, they think the answer has to be as big and complicated, and I'm here <laughs> to say no. Uh, it's almost exclusively the opposite. First things first, let's get that thing written down on paper so we can look into it. So it's a lot easier. The fastest way that I know to slow down a story is to write it down. And, mm. and, you know, very, and that's really where the rubber meets the road. Here's another, here's a on uh, brand analogy for very rarely 
does a car mechanic take a car out to the highway uh, and and at 70 miles an hour start popping the hood, pop the hood and start changing out parts? It's the same thing for our story. We got to park that thing. We got to park that thing so we can start taking out words and seeing what is what. And oh, wait a minute. My dad leaving when I was seven, that wasn't about me. That was about him. Do I do I want at 47, my dad leaving when I was seven was all because of me. I wasn't a good enough son. If I'm thinking that I'm not a good enough son, uh, so much so that my dad leaves the house, then I'm going to have this not good enough thing chasing me around the rest of my life. Very scary. Very scary. And very rarely is that kind of story gotten on paper. And we're not talking about writing about it, journaling about it, or journal like writing it out to and allowing myself to believe the story. Okay. Mm-hmm. That's what most journaling is. I don't recommend that because now it's it's it can it can be good. And a lot of times it's either neutral or a net negative because now I've got the proof in writing. I've got it in writing. No, mm-hmm. no. Write so you can think about your thinking. Right, so you can look at the story as opposed to observe the story as opposed to believe the story more strongly. And um, did I come close to answering your question on that about the language patterns of of people? Yeah, I guess even writing the story, you want to be mindful that you're not putting in all these uh, adjectives, right? Where um, just like the uh, the lady telling the story about spring break. And then this uncaring asshole went and hit up on my friend, you know, like you got to just write the story in a, in a, as factual a manner as possible. I would assume that's coming. What you want to do is to write it, um, as, as you, as it, as it was when it first happened, Mm -hmm. because that's your draft. And then, and then you can go in and and change some words and have a second draft and a third draft. Okay, most people don't even have a draft to hand in, pen to paper. Um, so you'll get to the elaboration of the story or the 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 um, editing the story once you get through the emotions and feelings. Okay, that's the normal progression. It's not always, and it's the normal progression, because because the the more so the more emotional someone is about a story, the more attached they are to how the words are put together. Mm. And what you want to do is you want to downregulate their nervous system in context to the story, so then they've got some space and clarity and are less less attached mm-hmm. to the story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so with the breathing. I wonder if you're familiar with the popular book, Oxygen Advantage, uh, Patrick McEwen, and it was an insight to me. I, I've known about the uh, the relationship between uh, nasal diaphragmatic breathing and parasympathetic function and how you want to use the entire diaphragm and take these nice breaths, but he also argues for uh, minimizing your breathing at all times, taking the minimal amount of oxygen necessary. And I wonder if that's uh, flowing into your training at all or if you have any insights on that that's the first i've heard of that um how i breathe so i had somebody uh uh one of paul check's friends interviewed me a few weeks ago and they said um so what what is this stuff done for you 
and I thought, thank you for asking. And I said, it, it's unlocked my breathing. Mm. It's unlocked my breathing. I can go on in detail about other things it's done. And that's irrelevant in one sense. Okay. Uh, for me, because, um, yeah, I very clearly remember I, 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 I tanked my fight career with bad breathing mechanics. Mm. I, I ended my fight career with a victim story, which was why I was training so hard. I was going to prove to everybody that mm. I was, I was good enough and I was not scared. I wasn't that scared little boy on the playground from, from elementary school. Cause I had a couple of stories of fights breaking out and me running mm. away and me beating myself up for all those years. Mm. And then it gets me into the fight game and that was my main thing. And so, you know, I was, I was already mad internally and I go in and, and I'm, I'm training with these stories running in my head, breath trapped in the chest. You're going to, things are going to break. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> my buddy, Brian Jones from the Brian Jones rock and roll revival, deep, deep, deep meditator, long time, deep meditator. He said, um, we're having these conversations cause we do. And, and he said, well, it doesn't matter what it is. If you hold your breath, you're going to hurt yourself. Hmm. Whether it's kung fu fighting, whether it's going go out on a date and hold your breath. Tell me how that goes. Get up in front of a, a group of colleagues and give a presentation about something that you could be a world expert in and hold your breath and tell me how that goes. Get on a sales call, hold your breath, tell me how that goes. It's like go on vacation with your family and hold your breath. And you're like, oh yeah. And tell me how that goes. Um, so we're still on the conversation about minimal oxygen. Um uh, I'm way more concerned, interested in about how smooth my breathing is. Mm -hmm. I like smooth inhalations and smooth exhalations because my breath used to be very staticky and spiky. It's like, <laughs> because my story was really staticky and spiky. It had all these thorns and, and broken glass in there. And every time I bump up against it, it was like, ow. And then I'd blame somebody out in my life. See, obviously, folks, I'm I'm <laughs> I'm using some seriously basic analogy mm -hmm. uh, to, to this stuff. Yeah. So if if you need more, if you need credentialed um, experts in this, uh, go listen to go listen to Jordan Peterson. I okay. Go listen to Jordan Peterson and overlap what we're saying with him because he's 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 had this. He's the smart guy talking about this stuff. We're the we're the basic people. Or at least I am. Yeah, he partner. has a whole uh, workshop. There's a website you can go to where he has you um, engage in a, a deep writing exercise. Yeah, know thyself. We've all done it. Your, yeah, you, you know about that. Like, what's he? He's wanting. Oh, your, we've all done it. Yeah, it's called Know your, Thyself. Oh, Know Thyself. That's know right. Know Thyself. Yeah. yeah, all of our um, all of our team members and contractors have done that. So, so we know where to place them for them to succeed. Mm. and play on their strengths mm -hmm. and the all the other cool stuff that you learn in there because he's a he is a high level clinical psychologist and he's in my opinion uh telling the truth to people mm -hmm. about what they can do with their life and their story yeah so and we have a breath work coach so wim hoff mm. Got a, I went to middle school with the guy, lucky me. He's a second degree Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, owns his own school. And he's one of a handful of level three Wim Hof instructors mm. in North America. Are you familiar with Wim, Wim Hof? Sure. Wim Hof method? Yeah. Um, and so he does, um, he and I have done at least 15 
workshops together, compare, uh, pairing up um, story, doing the story work, and then going in and breathing at the, the second half. It's like it's like starting a car that hasn't been started in a while. It just blows all this stuff out of people. Hmm. They leave like, oh, thank you. And he's the breathwork coach for the Enlifted community. He does a, a quarterly breathwork workshop for everybody because we talk about that a lot. Low and slow breathing. Mm -hmm. Get your breath low and slow when you're coaching people and watch what happens. Hmm. So when one is uh, taking the training, the Enlifted Method program, uh, is it often you're working with uh, people who are in a coaching role, like uh, personal trainers and life coaches and people that are then going to help um, take their clients to the next level? Or is it an individual consumer or a mix? Or who who's attractive for this? Good question. Um, 65, roughly 65% of our coaches are from the fitness industry. Wow. Uh, another 15% are from the nutrition space. Um, and we have a smattering of life coaches and, and other different people that coach, exclusively coach men, exclusively coach women. Uh, we have even have a singing coach. And then there's about 10% of people that, that come in that don't want to uh, coach um, per se. They just want to get better with their words and their stories mm. um, and like, their parents. And they want to help their their kids with it when it's time, which is very cool. Yeah, we did a – we went on a – in 2017, January 20th, 2017, uh, I flew from Thailand to Los Angeles to do a podcast. And it was at the time the most popular podcast in the the fitness and CrossFit space. It was called Barbell Shrugged. And um, I told my business partner, I was like, man, if we can get this conversation in front of the, the fitness folks, um, it'll catch. And we did. It's a good story about how we did, and I'll skip it. And so when that show dropped, we got introduced to the fitness industry by the best mouthpiece in the game at the time. And uh, things have changed. Things have been different since. It was one of those before and after moments. That was the oh. that was the very first. And we were on fumes for years, man. Oh. So I get it. I get that too. Um, and that's that's why that's why sixty five percent of our coaches come from the fitness industry. Yeah. So specifically with fitness oriented goals and that mm -hmm. coach client relationship, where there's so much uh, practical instruction and guidance being dispensed but a lot of times the main goal of like losing excess body fat or achieving a competitive goal uh i would assume that the story gets quite a bit in the way to the extent that um the other stuff's just not gonna stick until we get to uh the, the root of the uh the, the the problem and unlock that so then the potential is actually uh allowed to unfold you're right. You're right. Usually that's the thing that makes or breaks people. Um, we have, I don't know, 35 people in the, in the, in the community that have gyms. Mm. And I ask them, how many times have you seen somebody walk in the gym with all the physical talent in the world and they just choke it up? Like it happens way more than it doesn't. And, um, and and yes, so having the ability to go into your client's story only if you want that ability, right? Only if mm. you want that ability um, is is another way that you can add value to the client and coach interaction. There are some people in the fitness space or any space 
that that are like, I want nothing to do with my client's emotions and feelings. <laughs> and my response, my reply to that is, yeah, I get it. Mm. And there are people that say, yeah, I do want to go in there and, and work with people at that level. And I say the exact same thing in the in the exact same way. Yeah, I, I get it. Mm. Yeah. So it's it's like I said, it's play at your own level. If somebody wants to go in there, cool. If they don't, that's cool too. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know what people need to think, nor would I want to know what people need to think. That'd be weird. That'd be weird on both sides of that, that mm. street. All I'm, all I'm there to do is help people think about their thinking and, mm. um, learn about how their words are influencing them for better and for worse. And if someone wants a victim story about God knows what, go for it. It's your story. I can light that thing up, man. Go for it. Yeah. Don't judge it. Um, it's, it's okay. No. Go ahead. Yeah. Stay there if you want. Yeah. 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 I, I was, if somebody had told me this stuff back when I first got introduced to it, I've been like, dude, you, you, can, you can go ahead and leave me alone. <laughs> right. So what's a good suggestion to leave the listener with if we want to dabble and explore of course we can go get the training and we'll you can uh, promote how, how we connect with you but uh, if we're going to do a simple basic exercise now after listening to this show to yep. kind of uh, get us connected what what do you think uh, would be a good good idea may i answer that brad in in about four minutes if i can do it if i can answer that in four minutes i'll it'll be a it'll be a full answer here we go people Okay, great. Time me. And it'll bring some other stuff that we've talked about into the conversation. That second sentence of the definition of the victim mentality, the victim mentality depends on a habitual thought process, even in the absence of clear, uh, depends on a habitual thought process and attributions. Habitual thought process. So there are certain words that the victim mentality has to have. There are three in the enlifted vernacular, there's three pillars. Okay, there's projections. There's negations and there's soft talk. We already talked about projections. Uh, the key words are you, she, he, they, them, uh, dad, mom, the government. You, I, I need you to respect me versus I need me to respect me or he did that to me. No, I did mm. that to me. Wow. Okay, that's different. Then there's um, negations. Negations force people to stare at the worst case scenario. I can't keep living like this. There's a picture of me living like this. I won't make that mistake again. There's a picture of me making that mistake again. So won't, can't, isn't, haven't, not, uh, shouldn't. Those words, again, force us to stare at the stuff that scares us, whether we like it or not. And then here's the answer. Soft talk. Soft talk. Here are the soft talk keywords, and soft talk is the easiest place for people to start thinking about their thinking because all there's only a handful of words, and all you got to do is take it out, and you're going to feel it. And when someone feels the difference between I think I'm drinking too much coffee and I'm drinking too much coffee mm. – or it's almost like I'm procrastinating versus I'm procrastinating, procrastinating, or I guess I should have that conversation with them, or I should have that conversation mm. with them. Think, should, mm. could, maybe, kinda, I'm kinda overreacting. No, you know you are. Take out the kinda <laughs> and own it, okay? Um, hopefully, probably, possibly. Uh, one day, one day I'd like to run a marathon. How about today? 
How about today you start training or to, one day I'd like to, to join a gym. How about today? What are you going to, what are you doing? You're going to watch the news tonight. Go join a gym instead. You'll like the outcome better. Or try those words. If you start plucking them out and we, on our website, we've got a, um, a, uh, a, a handout that this is the top of the, I just got a thousand mm. of these things made soft talk challenge. I had, I just went down to Texas and I handed out 1500 of these things. I did six workshops and went on three podcasts and met with a bunch of people. And these are the words, everybody. Um, you can get this exact handout on our website and at, no, excuse me. That's our IG www.enlifted.me. That's it's got all the stuff about the certs on there and go get this printed out and watch what happens and you'll feel it. And when you feel it, you're like, man, that, that elementary school hmm. teacher, MMA fighter, he was, he was serious about my words. I am. And I'm sincere. I promise you, if you take some of those words out of a text message, you're going to hmm. have a better response. Hmm. If, if you take the, some of those words out of a conversation you're having about a big decision, you're going to make that decision faster and smoother, and you're going to like the way that feels. And then from there, it's like, okay, well, what other words are causing me to talk myself out of loving myself or doing things that are important to me or being a good listener, being the, being a good father, being a good, you know, whatever it is. Cause there's, if you got a problem with something, there's, there's very likely it's an understatement. There's very likely some key words in there that you can change Mm. and, and, other things will change. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were showing on the video that list of words, which we can download at enlifted.me, but it was the probably sort of shoulda, coulda, woulda, all that kind of stuff. So um, we're in the groove, people. Check your check your words. Try one it's day, one. maybe, could, possibly. So I'm going to try to remember as many of those as possible. Whoops cross that one off i'm gonna memorize those words man yeah per- perhaps i'll make that uh long jump <laughs> jump or the, the no i'm gonna yeah. nail that yeah. you know be your yeah. own hype man right on help. right on mark england everybody bringing it from the enlifted method please visit enlifted n-e-n-l-i-f-t-e-d l-i-f-t-e-d dot m-e and that's the starting point. But of course, he gave us some nice miniature homework assignments. Thanks so much for spending the time, Mark, and keep up doing the great work. Thank you, Brad. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for everybody. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Da, 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 da. Hey, I want to tell you about Schwank Grills. This is a revolutionary portable gas infrared grill that uses the exact same heating technology as the world's best steakhouses. You heat up to 1500 degrees Fahrenheit to grill the juiciest steak you've ever tasted in as little as three minutes. Can you believe it? That's right. You do not have to go to those crowded, noisy, super overpriced steakhouses anymore when you have the same technology in your backyard. And the Schwank portable infrared grill is not just for steak. You can make chicken wings, hamburgers, seafood, lobster, vegetables, 
I make salmon in three minutes. They even have a pizza stone accessory. I want you to visit their very informative and mouth-watering website at schwankgrills.com. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-K. Everything you cook, faster, juicier. The speed is so important, so convenient. Uh, There's a drip tray on the bottom, so you let the juices drip down. I love the bison burger, the venison burgers. That's my game. And then you can add a mixture of butter, spices, whatever you want, into the tray. Pour it back onto your meat or your salmon for a huge improvement in flavor. Are you getting hungry? I am. (laughs) Let's go to schwankgrills.com, S-C-H-W-A-N-K, grills.com, and up your home cooking game. This is a -a one-of-a-kind grill. I have a great discount code for you, of course. It's BRAD150 to save $150 off your purchase of a Schwank grill. Thank you so much for listening to the BRAD podcast. We appreciate all feedback and suggestions. Email podcast at bradventures.com and visit bradkerns.com to download five free ebooks and learn some great long cuts to a longer life, how to optimize testosterone naturally, become a dark chocolate connoisseur, and transition to a barefoot and minimalist shoe lifestyle.